Well, welcome along. It's good to uh, see you all here this morning. Just a reminder this week too, for those who are, um, are normal uh, participants of Friendship Club, you'll be meeting this coming Tuesday here in the, uh, in the hall, so don't, uh, don't forget that. And uh, I'm sure you'll have a, a great morning of fellowship there. We're going to uh, just come before the Lord and just ask him to uh, bless our time together now around his word and he might speak to our hearts in this way. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to thank you first and foremost that you are a God who desires that relationship with us. Relationship requires communication and you yourself have communicated to us in many ways, most uh, ultimately through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. things, the one who made all things for you and for your purposes. Help us remember that uh, today you want to speak to us. You want to address us corporately, but you also want to speak to us individually. So help us to be attentive to what you might say to us this morning through this passage, through the words that I speak. May they be indeed anointed by your Holy Spirit, and may we rejoice in the fact that uh, we can have this time together. Uh, We just uh, commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you a quote this morning from uh, a fellow called John Stott. Some of you might know him. He uh, um, no longer is around. He is a a very famous uh, English pastor, uh, uh, theologian and author. And uh, he has these words to, to write about the Holy Spirit. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit of God is dead. Very, very thought-provoking words, aren't they? As we come to our passage this morning, we're continuing on in our series, uh, The Glory of the Cross, continuing on from Easter. And uh, since we still have the, uh, the cross centre be- behind us this morning as we continue in this series, and, and, and really what we're going to find this morning is that this particular uh, uh, um, event in the, the early history of the church, Pentecost, very much carries on what Christ has accomplished there on the cross and through his death and resurrection. And I hope that uh, you'll see that. So this uh, this week and next week, we're going to look at what the cross and Christ's cross and resurrection has accomplished for His church, for us, not just in the forgiveness of sins, but actually in giving us the spiritual empowerment and the ability in order to be His people and to carry out His mission in the world. 
as we go forward into uh, our own time here living in the 21st century. It was here on the, on the first day of Pentecost, as, uh, as Peter just read from, from Acts chapter 2, this, this, this particular uh, event that, that followed the death and resurrection of Jesus, that uh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, came upon the disciples, the followers of Jesus, in a way that had never been seen before. In this way, the coming of the Holy Spirit can be viewed, if you like, as the final saving act of the ministry of Jesus' death and resurrection, apart from what will be the conclusion when he comes at his second coming. It's the final act of his saving ministry. Of course, as we remember through Easter, having died on the cross, uh, Jesus taking upon himself the full and righteous wrath of God for our sins... And having been raised from the dead as as proof that his sacrifice was indeed acceptable to God and indeed accomplished that which God intended for for it to do, Jesus then ascended back into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. There as he makes intercession for his church, for his people. And it is from there that he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. And in sending the Holy Spirit, he constituted a new body of people, a new body of, that, that would be his, his family. And he would use that Holy Spirit to work out in them that which he had indeed won for them on the cross. Paul, writing about this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, says this, For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, God the Father, chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Part of Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead was indeed to carry out this purpose that we would be made holy and blameless in the sight of God. But also it would be to empower us to be his witnesses in carrying out his mission in the world today. That is to proclaim his lordship and his salvation to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations, as we read in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Folks, the work of the follower or the disciple of Jesus Christ is to be one of witness, of witness to God of his glory, of his majesty, of his holiness, but also of his message of salvation, that he wants to reconcile people to himself. He wants to bring people into this new community that he he brought about through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we are to be witnesses, witnesses of this in both word and in deed. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says this, just before he ascends back into heaven, he says to, uh, to his disciples that they shall, um, that when, uh, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witness. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12 says this, that we as followers of Jesus are to live such good lives among the pagans, that is, people who do not know God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they, they accuse you of, you know, of, of, of wrong um, behaviour, of wrong thoughts, of wrong beliefs and things like that, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, they will see that you know, the, the, the lives that we live are of such a character and of such a quality that is far different from what we see around us in our world today that they cannot help but see there is something different about us and that they then will ultimately give glory to God through that. But we can't do it in our own strength. We cannot carry out this mission in our own strength. And we need this, this helper that God sends us, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus says to them, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He knew that his disciples couldn't carry out the mission that he was sending them out on unless he sent the Holy Spirit to be the one who would enable them and empower them and equip them to do that. So he says, you need to wait. And when the Holy Spirit will come on you, then I will send you out and you will be my witnesses. Because then you will be equipped, then you will be empowered to do that which was my purpose. As we read in our passage this morning, it was at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit first came in this way. Pentecost is also known as the Feast of uh, the Feast of Weeks. It occurred seven weeks after the Feast of Passover, a week of weeks, or the Feast of Weeks. All right, and it is also called the Feast of Harvest as well. It was. Uh, it occurred um, on the uh, the particular time of the year that uh, con- co- that coincided with the wheat harvest. And therefore, it was associated with an ingathering, an ingathering of the harvest. As Peter preached this message of the gospel here in Acts chapter 2, we see at the end of the passage, it says, So those who received his word, those who, who heard the preaching of the gospel on that, on that particular time there in, in Jerusalem, as Peter got up there and under the power of the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel. And as the other followers you know, um, translated that into the languages of the people that were there, it says that those who received his word were baptized and there were added to their number that day 3,000 souls. An ingathering. Can you see that? And it coincided with this, with this harvest time. Through over 3,000 souls, around 3,000 souls that day came to faith in Jesus Christ as their saviour. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine 3,000 people all at once coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Some of you were around in, you know, in the, uh, the late 50s when Billy Graham came out here and did uh, his, his wonderful uh, you know, evangelistic preaching to, the, to, to crowds of thousands and thousands of people here in Australia. And, and, and hundreds of people came to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of, of, of the gospel through that man, Billy Graham. And many of those people went on to be you know, faithful ministers of, of, of Christ in their churches. Many went on actually to be pastors and missionaries and to, to take that word of the gospel and spread it around the world. 3,000 people. Pentecost began that great ingathering of souls into God's eternal kingdom, folks, that continues to this very day. Enabled by the Spirit of God. And we see the culmination of it in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, where, where the Apostle John writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That, folks, is the culmination of what we see the beginning of here in Acts chapter 2. And you and I are actually a part of this. Isn't that amazing? That you and I are part of this this wonderful mission of God to, to bring many, many souls into the kingdom of God to be reconciled, to know the hope and the peace and the joy that comes through a new relationship with Jesus Christ. To know that their sins are forgiven. To know that they have been set free from the power of sin and death that holds them right now. Historically, Pentecost was also the time that the Jews observed the anniversary of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. You might say, well, why is that particularly significant this morning? Well, listen to this, what God said about the law in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, God said, And I will give you, speaking of his people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. What God is saying here is that he would put his law in the heart, the very hearts of the people. Now God had given his law there on Mount Sinai, he had written it out on those stone tablets. And he had given them through Moses to his people. And he said, here is the Lord. Here is my covenant with you. And this is the way you are to live as my people. And the people tried to to follow those commands. but, But when it came down to it, they really did not have the capacity within them to do so faithfully. And that, I think, that frustration was meant to, to, to actually really cause the people to look forward to a day when finally they would be able to actually follow God's commands in a way which wasn't just out of duty or out of service or something like that, but more so it came as a desire of their hearts. And God, that's what God is speaking about here in Ezekiel. Look, you need to look forward to this day when I will put my law in your heart. I'll write it on your heart so that you will desire it. We see something similar in Jeremiah chapter 31 where he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. You know, back in, in this particular time, it was the, the duty of the priests and the, and the, and, and the religious people to, to be able to proclaim God's word. They were the ones who knew it. They were the ones who had to teach the others about the word of God. But God is saying there was going to come a time where I'm going to write it on your own very hearts and and you won't need other people to tell you about me. I will be in you. I will be with you and I will declare to you the things through my word, through the Holy Spirit, 
Folks, we do not need a priest in order to, to go before God, a human priest to go and be, you know, to, to, to lead us into the presence of God anymore. That was Old Testament times. Today we have got the great high priest in Jesus Christ who has made it possible for us to enter the presence of God ourselves by, through his blood and by his grace. Each and every one of us here in this place this morning, God has given us the, 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 the ability and the way in order for us to be able to come into the very presence of God through faith in Jesus Christ and know that we can commune with him personally. Open up the Word of God. As you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is unable to take the Word of God and impress it upon our hearts and help us to know and understand what God is saying to us through His Word. So although you know, the, the Holy Spirit coming in Pentecost was a, was, a, was a new thing in many ways, it was something that God had promised hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. Can you see God's plan and purpose is being worked out? And how through the, the feasts and that sort of thing, God was saying, you know, you, you observe these feasts, but they point to something much greater. And we see the fulfillment of that. And we, here today, standing on this side of the cross, we have that capacity to see all of this stuff in such a, a remarkable and, and wonderful way, in, in ways which the Old Testament saints couldn't. And you've got people like Abraham who, you know, is, 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 a scri- you know, is credited to him that he believed in God and God credited him as righteousness. He was a man who was looking forward to that heavenly kingdom we, re- we, we read in, in, Hebrews, in Hebrews 11. He was a man, he, had the, he didn't have the cross or anything like that to, uh, to, to, uh, to guide his faith and that sort of thing. He just believed and trusted in God and he was faithful in that. But you and I today are in a much better position than the Old Testament saints, people like Abraham and those sort of people, because we stand on this side of the cross and we can see the reality of what Jesus has has accomplished for us. And so we as followers of Jesus today, you would think with all the knowledge that we have and 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 uh, what God has given us, we would be even greater and more faithful followers than Abraham. Wouldn't that be the case? Holy Spirit, God, coming in person. And we need to remember this, that the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself indwelling us. Jesus, as he spoke to his disciples, said that, uh, that, that, he, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit was going to come, that he would be indeed a comforter for his disciples. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus had spoken openly about the fact that that he was indeed going to be put to death and that he was going to be going away and and leaving his his disciples. And in one of the conversations, particularly where we see recorded in John chapter 14, the disciples are getting anxious and thinking, what's going on? This isn't playing out the way we understood things would play out, Jesus. And he said that he was going away, but that they need not worry because this was all part of God's plan. And he encourages the disciples to say, you know what, you need to keep on living for me. 
Even though I'm going away, you need to keep on living for me. But I will be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will send to you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, however, for he dwells with you and he will be in you and I will not leave you as orphans. So the Holy Spirit was to be you know, our assurance that we, was, that we belong to Christ. As Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit is indeed God's seal of ownership on us as his children. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you. Right that very moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within you and begins God's work of renewal and transformation. And for every follower of Jesus Christ here in this place today, you have God's Holy Spirit. God is personally indwelling you today. Jesus said, would not only be a comforter, but also a counselor. The Holy Spirit would help Jesus' followers to know the truth and to walk in it. Jesus says again in John 14, verses 25 to 26, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Folks, that was not just a promise for the disciples back in Jesus' day. It is a promise for us today. In John 16, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That says to us today, here living in the 21st century, some 2,000 plus years after Christ's death, resurrection and ascension back into heaven, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not on our own. Today you are not on your own. God is with you. God is in you. And God is going to lead you and guide you through his Holy Spirit. If we will just trust in him, if we will surrender to him, if we will just allow God's spirit to speak to us and to use us for God, God will do amazing and incredible and indescribable things in your life and through your life. Do you believe that this morning? Folks, we've got to believe this. Because it is the truth, it is the reality. And I, I fear today that we as the church, we have lost this, this wonderful truth about the Spirit of God and the power of God within us. 
The power of God is so great that it raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power of God is so great that it raises dead men to life today. It brings them into a new and reconciled relationship with the living God. The power of God enables us today to go out and confidently speak the message of the gospel knowing that that God will indeed touch the hearts of those who have ears to hear. The power of God through his Holy Spirit has the the amazing ability to actually transform you in in your situation, in your life. Do you believe that? Because so many Christians today, folks, we're living in defeat. We have forgotten the fact that we have got the power of God living within us. And so we live, you know, thinking that we're still bound, that we're still in chains and that the chains of, of all of the, the habits and stuff that we have in our, and the desires that we, we don't want to do today and we don't want to have a part of, we feel as though there's no escaping that. But Jesus has already set you free and he's given you the power to continue to have victory over these things in your life if we will just surrender to God and trust in him and be, be ready to, to commit everything, we are, who we are and, and all we have to him. around at the faces here in this room. And I know some of the struggles that some of you are going through right now. And the hardships and the trials and the difficulties that you're having in overcoming certain sins in your life. Like the Apostle Paul, you keep saying, you know, the, the, the good that I want to do, it's, it's, it, that, it's that which I don't do. And the stuff that I don't want to do, it's that stuff that I do. And you're saying to yourself, who can rescue me from this body of death? Who can rescue me? What does Paul say? Thanks be to Christ. Yes? You still awake? Good. Praise be to God. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ that he is the one who set us free and has empowered us now through his Holy Spirit to say, you know what, Satan? I don't have to follow you anymore. I don't have to follow those desires in my heart which go against your way. I can say no and walk away from it because the Holy Spirit gives me the power to say no. Do we believe that this morning, folks? Do we believe this morning that the Holy Spirit gives us the power as his church to be able to go out of these doors, to go out into our communities and start proclaiming the gospel and see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do we believe that? Well, if we believe it, we need to start doing it more because we're not doing it enough. Do you want to see 3,000, you know, dozens and dozens of souls come to faith in Jesus Christ? 
Because if we do, God in his divine purposes says, I want to use you in this process. God could do it on his own. And in fact, at the moment, in the places like the Middle East where there is no proclamation of the gospel, God is indeed speaking into people's hearts and lives right now through dreams and visions. And people in those regions which and they don't have the gospel are actually coming to faith in Jesus Christ through God's incredible dreams and, and, and visions in their, in their minds and in their lives. And so God can work in those miraculous ways, but, but, but most commonly God wants to use us in that process. The, the, the purpose of the church... And that, therefore, the purpose of every follower of Jesus in this place is to be a witness. And God has brought people into your lives or he's taken you into other people's lives so that you might be a witness to them. Because we all move in different kinds of social circles and stuff like that. We all have different kinds of personalities and experiences and so we mix with different kinds of people. And you, God has placed in that particular situation as a light so that your light might shine, that the light of Jesus might shine through you to those around about you. And you know what? Yes, it's a scary thing. And it's a frightening thing. To actually make a, 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 a public statement of faith in today's society, isn't it? Because people just, they just, you know, really oppose the Christian faith and the Bible and the God of the Bible. But right now, out in your communities and even in your social circles, there are people which God is actually speaking to in their hearts right now. Wanting to use you in that process of bringing those people to a better understanding of who God is and what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you in order to actually help them to take their first steps of faith towards Jesus Christ and to come into this new living relationship with God. And folks, there is nothing greater in this world than being able to be used by God as a part of that to bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That their whole life, their whole eternity is completely changed in that split second that they come to faith in Jesus. That they are no longer on that path that leads to destruction but instead they're on that road that leads to life and life in all its fullness in Jesus. I want to quickly just uh, go through the three ways in which the Holy Spirit um, manifested itself in this particular passage. the entire house where they were sitting and dividing tongue, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
three things, wind, fire and speech. That wind that is spoken of here, or breath, is, is the Hebrew word ruach. And it means breath. And it is associated with God as the giver of life. In Genesis 1, we read that God's spirit, God's ruach, was hovering over the waters. He was an integral part of the creation. And we see that he's hovering over the waters. God brought about order out of chaos in the creation there. And his spirit was all a part of this, his breath. This life-giving of the spirit of God, the breath of God. In Ezekiel 37, some of you might be familiar with this passage, we read about the prophet Ezekiel standing over this valley of dry bones. There's bones slitted all over this valley. And God says to the prophet, to the prophet Ezekiel, start prophesying. Start speaking the word of God to these bones. Preach, Ezekiel, to these dry bones. And as he speaks, as the prophet Ezekiel obeys God and begins to preach the word of God, all of a sudden the bones start clattering and start you know, rumbling and starting, start coming together to form skeletons. And the sinews sort of start to come and they form sinews over the skeletons and the muscles and the, uh, and the skin and, and, and the, the bodies are all formed. There as they stand before Ezekiel, he's preaching this, this breath of God, this ruach of God. The Spirit of God preaching and God breathes into these people and they become alive, a mighty army for the Lord. And today you might think that, you know, you might feel as though you at the moment are that pile of dry bones. But I've got news for you today as, as God's Spirit, as, as you allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart and to your soul this morning, God can take those dry bones and He can bring, bring about new life. And He can bring about, you know, creating you into be that, that warrior for Him, that great army for the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful for us to be a great army for the Lord here in this place? Warriors for God. coming of the Holy Spirit. This violent wind that shook the place. That shook that place where the disciples were gathered. But not only was there this violent wind, this breath of God, this life-giving Spirit of God that, that brought life there and, and ability to the disciples, but there was also fire, God says. Fire is always associated with God's presence and his holiness and his glory. We see that in the burning bush in Exodus 3. Remember Moses out there in the wilderness and God appears to Moses in the burning bush. What about there at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 where God brings his people after rescuing from, from, from Egypt. He brings them there to the, foot of the, to the foot of the mountain and there on the mountain, what are we told? Fire descends on the mountain and smoke and thunder what an incredibly awesome and terrifying scene that would have been. Numbers chapter 9, we spe it speaks about the fact that God was a pillar of fire amongst his people by night and a cloud by day as he led his people. But all, all of this we, we sort of see God in, in this kind of you know, set-apartness from other people. But here in, the, in, in this 
wonderful uh, um, event of Pentecost, we see that and, and when the fire came, it divided as tongues of fire and it rested on each one of the people. And what that was showing the people was that it no longer would God just be a, a God that's sort of you know, out here and, uh, and just you know, from a corporate sense just a people's God, but he would be their God individually. It showed that God was going to be with these people individually. It points to the truth that every follower has God's spirit within them. But not only is fire associated with God's presence, his holiness and his glory, but it also is associated with God's cleansing and purifying. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah is given this vision. He's brought into the very presence of God and and as he's he's confronted with the glory and the magnificence of God there in Isaiah 6, he sees, oh, woe is me for I am completely undone. You know, like I'm dead. And God speaks to the prophet and and, and he sends, a, he, he sends a, an angel to the, to the altar and, and takes one of the hot coals and he, and he puts it on the lips of the prophet. And he says, now you're cleansed, now you're clean. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. The Holy Spirit is God's cleanser and purifier for us. We have been called to be what? A holy people. Want to be God actually doing the cleansing it's actually God making got to be the one who makes us holy and he does that through the indwelling spirit of God as I said as followers of Jesus today we're called to be holy set apart for God's purposes and that's the spirit's part of the spirit's work in our our lives it's to convict us of sin John chapter 16 verse 8 says that the Holy Spirit is also you know God's means of, of, of not only convicting of our sin, but also cleansing us, of pointing us to Jesus Christ as the one who forgives us our sin, who has paid for it. But then the Holy Spirit also helps us to walk in the ways of God, that process of sanctification, that big theological word. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I would say, and such were all of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God. We have been made clean, folks. We have been washed, renewed, cleansed, and purified. And this is an ongoing process that God wants to continue to work out in your life each and every day. The third element symbolized the coming of the Holy Spirit was the ability of the disciples to speak in tongues or other languages. 
the disciples that day were given a supernatural ability to be able to speak in the languages of the people who were there on that day. And, and, uh, and Luke gives us an account of people from all these different areas, all these different regions of the, the, the Roman Empire in that particular day. And as they speak, these people were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Country hicks? Uneducated? Unschooled people? Aren't they? you know, these kind of people? And yet we're hearing them speak to us in our, in, in our own language, our own tongues. They were amazed. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. It's interesting, I find that what we see here is a reversal of what something what happened in, in Genesis chapter 11. Remember the, the Tower of Babel? How man thought he could earn his own way to God. They could build this huge big pyramid to reach up to the heavens and they could be gods themselves and God came down, it says, and he confused their language and scattered them all over the face of the earth. Here, what we see in this particular point in Pentecost is a reversal of this. It is instead now a universal message of the gospel. And in this remarkable event, what we see is a beginning of a, a formation of a new humanity that we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. For through him, that is through Christ, we have all gained access into, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And it is in him that the whole structure being joined together grows as a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You've had to take in an awful lot this morning. You've had to take in an awful lot. But what we need to remember today, folks, is this. That if we're followers of Jesus Christ, God has united us together into a new humanity. So that our ties as brothers and sisters in the Lord are even deeper and greater ties than our flesh and blood relationships with our families. Did you know that?
cooperate with the Spirit. And there can be no effective witness without his power. We cannot hope to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ without relying on the Spirit of God in our lives. Let me ask you this question. Have you received the Spirit of God today? Have you received the Spirit of God today? Does he dwell in you? Does he live in you? And if he does, where is the evidence of that? Do you see the evidence in your life of that fact? Because we can state it and say, yes, I've got the Holy Spirit in my life, but if there is no outworking evidence of that, then you need to start to question whether or not that is in fact the case. And that might be a hard thing for you to hear this morning. In fact, you might have been a person who's been sitting in these seats for years and years and years and years, thinking that, yeah, you know what, I'm doing okay. I'm one of God's people. But if there is no evidence of that change, that transformation that has taken place in your life through the Holy Spirit, and no ongoing change, even though it be very, very small or minute, and sometimes it might be two steps forward and three steps back, if we're still working towards it, we're still seeing that evidence, then only then can we be assured that we belong to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.18 says we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Is that your desire today? No. Is that your desire today, to be filled with the Spirit of God? Not just through that that one-time commitment of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but a day-by-day filling of the Holy Spirit. How does that work out? By us surrendering to the Spirit's power and work in our lives. Us surrendering to what God says to us in says to us in his word and folks as Christians today many of us are not surrendering to what God says in his word so how can we expect the spirit of God to be working in us if we don't even listen to what the word of God says and yes I can get on my hobby horse with this right now we need to repent of our sin That's where it's got to begin, folks. We've got to repent. We've got to come before God on our knees and repent and just say, you know what, God, I have not been living your way. I've called myself a follower of Jesus Christ, but I've not been living your way. You don't have the authority of my life. I've been the one who's been the authority. I've been the one who's been holding the reins. I've been the one who's been determining the agendas. We need to come before God this morning and you say, no more, no more, God, I surrender to you here this minute today. Will you say that? this morning the Bible this morning speaks of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross through his death and resurrection and it speaks to us of the fact that he has brought us together into his new body of this, this new humanity He's united us together and he he indwells us through his spirit. And as you come around this table this morning, I want to invite you to take a moment to actually come before God and actually assess, do a a, a mental and spiritual assessment of your life right now, where you stand with God, how you've been living your life for God. Has it been according to what God's word says or has it been according to what your will is? 
Today is a day for us to come before God, to partake of these elements, to say thank you to Jesus Christ that he set us free, to say thank you that he's paid for our sins, to say thank you that he's secured our forgiveness in, 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 you know, in his death and resurrection. But then also to say, God, I commit my life wholeheartedly to you. I am yours. Use me as you please. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask this morning that as we've heard this, this incredible event of the Holy Spirit coming on the believers for the first time in this very unique way, that we ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ are partakers of that same Spirit. And we ourselves are united together today in Jesus Christ. And we want to confess to you today those things in our lives where, Lord, where we're living lives that are not pleasing you right now. We want to confess those things to you. And Lord, as we partake of these elements, we ask that, uh, that we will remember afresh what you have secured for us in Jesus Christ, the hope to which you have called us, and the glorious life that can be ours. Hardships, trials and all, the glorious life that can be ours as we continually surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.